Father, we're so thankful for uh, the blessing that you have given to us in this church. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless, but we also understand that we need to continue to seek your face and your wisdom in regards to uh, just being good stewards, stewards for your kingdom, for your glory, that we could continue to disciple and see people come to faith and raise up believers and equip believers for your glory and for your good and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, please continue to give us wisdom. And as we now shift our attention, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to your word. Father, we know that there are brothers and sisters all over the world right now that have a lot of weight upon their shoulders. We think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We think of our brothers and sisters in places like Iran and, and, and China and so many other places where it's not, they're not free to come and do what we're about to do. Or if they are free to do it, they're doing it in, in tremendous uncertainty, in tremendous instability. And I pray, Father, that we would see that, we would recognize that, we would give you thanks for it, but we would also be reminded to pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, would you stand, will help their faith to stay firm and steadfast. Father, thank you for their witness that encourages us to be faithful. When you have given us much. May we be as faithful as they are in the midst of little and in the midst of difficulty. But Father, we pray that your glory would shine through their faithfulness, even today. So be present with them. And now as we turn our attention to your word, open our eyes, help us to see what it is that you would have for us today. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. I want to invite Sam Brewster up. Sam is going to read for us out of Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's word as um, Sam reads for us. Sam, pass it off to you. Amen. Good morning, church family. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hear the word of the Lord, church. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Let's be reminded that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it will stand forever. Amen. Uh, it will always be there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever walked through a circumstance or a time in your life where you have been uh, diagnosed with some form of a condition or you've come to realize that you have some form of a condition. Condition. I don't know whether that's something like seasonal allergies or acid reflux or diabetes, fibromyalgia, or something maybe that's even more internal like social anxiety or post-traumatic stress syndrome or something of that nature. But if you have experienced a moment where someone has diagnosed you or you've come to realize you have a condition like that, you realize that that condition of your life has serious implications in regards to how you live on a day-to-day -day basis. Your condition affects your conduct. So, for example, if you were diagnosed with the condition of diabetes, I doubt you woke up the next morning and ate a giant bowl of Frosted Flakes with a 32-ounce Mountain Dew. 
right? If you did that and you just were diagnosed with a condition of diabetes and you continued to conduct yourself the same way you always have, which I really hope nobody's eating that for breakfast, but nonetheless, if you did that, you're going to end up in the hospital because your pancreas is going to revolt from you, all right? So we understand in our lives that our condition oftentimes affects our conduct. So if you have social anxiety, you know that if you're going to go to a party, it changes the way you may engage that party. Maybe you show up a little bit late. Maybe you don't stay as long as everybody else. Maybe you go with the spouse so you feel you've got that little space of comfort and, and you've got to be careful about how much social engagement you have. The point is that your condition affects the way you live. And we seem to understand this inherently in our lives. This is a very natural way for us to think. And today, we want to recognize that our condition is in Christ. And we want to pay attention and look at our condition and see how Paul then encourages the Colossian church to have their conduct reflect their condition. But I think there's a challenge for us that I want to bring out before we get into the specifics of this topic. The language that we read about in this text about being raised up with Christ and seated at the right hand of God, set in our minds on things above, not on things of earth, dying to this life, having our life hidden with Christ, like all that language, it sounds so beautiful and so good, but it also feels really, really spiritual. And it can feel, if we're honest oftentimes, really disjointed from the mundane of our lives. And don't take mundane to be negative. Like mundane is just the normal things that we go to every day. Like we wake up every day and we make breakfast and we go to school, some of us. We've got to take our kids to school. We deal with bills and we deal with investments and we deal with medical things and um, all kinds of issues that we walk through day in and day out. We all live lives that are filled with very physical and real presses upon our time, our energy, and our thoughts. And if we're honest, at least I believe it can feel like texts like this in the Bible, they talk about all these wonderful spiritual things, and our temptation can be to create compartments, like spiritual compartments and then physical compartments. Right? What I do spiritually is what I do at church on Sunday morning, but when I'm doing the dishes after a long, hard day's work, that's not related to these wonderful truths. The fact of the matter is, as we walk through today discussing our condition, and then in this week and then weeks to come, talking about our conduct, my prayer and my hope is that the spiritual reality of our condition comes into view so clearly for us that this has a deep implication for us, even in the midst of the most normal mundane, day-to-day, minute-by-minute activities. So that's where we're going, and that's our goal. And so I want to pray one more time that God would just grant us eyes to see as we move towards that. Father, I want to pray this morning that if there are those moments and those places in our lives where we have created compartments where we say, well, this is kind of my physical life and I've, the things I have to do, and then this over here is my, my spiritual life, I pray this morning, Father, as we look at your word, that you would help us to see that your intent and Paul's intent is that we see who we are in your son, but that that then affects every part 
of our lives in this world and our conduct. Lord, open our eyes to see this, that we might truly be free, as we've talked about so much already, to trust you and to live life in you and for you. Father, speak through me, as this is so much an area that even on a day-to-day basis, I can struggle, I think we all can. So Lord, speak through my weaknesses this morning and help us all to grow more, to be more like your son as a result of looking into your word today. By your spirit, do this work in us. I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So our condition. So when we think about our condition, Paul has already begun to start asking some questions or start probing us to get us to think about our condition. Last week, he said the term, if you were with Christ, or if with Christ you died to the elemental spirit. So he's saying, okay, if you're a person who you've died to this idea, remember last week, that you can be justified on your own and you've begun to trust Jesus, then you've entered into a new space. You've entered into a new condition. And this week, he starts verse 1 of chapter 3 with another if statement. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So Paul's asking two questions. like, listen, if you've died to those elemental things and you're no longer trying to be justified by God by yourself and you've been raised with Christ, then something profound has happened to you. You have changed. And he goes on to tell us what our condition is as the people of God. If you've died to those things and you've been raised with Christ. And he tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is your new condition. You are dead. We are dead to any form of life here because our life is hidden with Jesus. Our life is hidden with Jesus. This is your new condition. You are hidden in Christ. Because he was raised, so are you. So what does that mean? What does that mean as you wash the dishes, as you cook the meals, as you go to the basketball game, or as you say you play that basketball game or volleyball game and you're playing the game and you hope to hit that winning shot at the end of the game, right? Or you engage in your education or you engage in your finances. Like, what does that mean for you? This is what I was talking about earlier when we can see, feel this disconnect, that there's this spiritual compartmentalization that can easily take place because we don't exactly know what Paul is talking about. Yet, he wants this real condition, this very real condition, to affect our daily lives, to affect our conduct. And it starts with understanding that we, what we used to consider living should shift completely. So, Here's where I'll begin to help us understand what I think Paul is getting at. I mentioned a minute ago uh, that playing the basketball game and this idea that you hope to hit the winning shot. I, I use that analogy because most of us have probably lived that life at some point. Maybe it wasn't basketball for you. Maybe it was football. Maybe it was volleyball. Maybe it was that you were going to answer the right uh, question or whatever it is in the math Olympics or the spelling bee. But it's that idea that you fantasize about when you're a kid of of hitting that shot at the end of the game and everybody going, oh, that was awesome, right? And here's the point, is in that moment, you know that the reason you fantasize about that 
And I remember as a kid playing out in the backyard, and you know, you're down two points, and I'm playing basketball by myself, and, and I'm dribbling around everybody, and I shoot it up, and the buzzer beats, and it goes, and, I'm, and every, you know, the crowd runs out and celebrates. Yay, Darren won the game. Never happened in real life, but in my mind, all the time, right? Like, I, I use that because most of us remember that feeling. Most of us have kind of had that thought or that fantasy or whatever it is in our lives, whether, again, it was soccer or football or spelling me, whatever it is. But in that moment, you think to yourself, whether you do it consciously or not, you think to yourself, man, if that could happen in real life, if I could be that hero, if I could score that basket in real life, that's living. That's life. Like, that would be amazing. The danger of it is, and you know this, if you've walked in that at all, that if you ever fail to hit the shot, then that's crushing. That's a hard place to live. But for the Christian, what Paul is ultimately saying, he's not saying you no longer play basketball. He's saying that hitting the winning shot no longer is what's going to make you say, that's life. And that's living. It's changed. Our perspective has changed. Life and living is no longer dependent upon making that shot or, or getting that job or getting that spouse or any of those different things because your life is now hidden with Jesus. It's no longer wrapped up in these worldly things. It's no longer wrapped up in hitting that shot or making that job. It's with Jesus. And specifically, Paul says this in the text we read this morning, that it is seated at the right hand of God. So our life is hidden with Jesus, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? I want to flush this out a bit because we don't tend to think naturally about what it means to sit at the right hand of God. But Scripture uses this idea all over the place. So let's consider for just a minute what it means to be at the right hand of God and to have our life at the right hand of God. First, Scripture talks about honor. Do you know that at the right hand of God is where real honor is at? So think about this. Think about me as a kid trying to hit that last shot and have everybody celebrate and praise my name. What I'm looking for and what I'm hoping for is to find life in other people honoring me through that action. But as a Christian, that shifts, and I see now that my true honor doesn't matter what anybody in this room or outside thinks of me. My real honor sits with Jesus at the right hand of God. That's real honor. That's what really matters to me. So I can be free from having to worry about what everybody here thinks. Now, it's hard, but nonetheless, that's what we're talking about. It's a shift of our life. It's a shift of what we see as life and living. Another thing scripturally that we're told is that the right hand of God is protection and provision. Isaiah 62, 8. See, for the world, they would say, you know what? It's real living, and that's life. If I can have such a life around me and such a bubble around me where I don't have to worry about economics and I don't have to worry about wars and I don't have to worry about any of these types of things because I've created my own world of protection and provision. And if I can just get there, then I'll be happy. If I can just get there, then it'll be life. But for the Christian, we say, that's not life. Our protection, 
Our provision doesn't come from what we can hold or have. Our protection and provision comes from God, and that is seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ. I was watching on YouTube, or on YouTube, Facebook, I don't remember where it was, but I was watching a group of Ukrainian Christians yesterday worshiping Jesus in a subway. How can they do that when their entire world is being destroyed around them? You know why? Because they recognize that their true protection and provision doesn't come from economic stability. It doesn't come from their president. It doesn't come from their government. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. And so they can praise even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so at the right hand of God is our honor. At the right hand of God is our protection and provision. And at the right hand of God is our power. Life isn't found in being the strongest and most powerful in this world. And yet that's what we oftentimes think and believe to be true. There are CEOs of the largest companies that think, man, if I can just become and get on the top of the totem pole, that's life that's living. But for the Christian, we say, our power comes from God, and it is the power to raise the dead. In fact, it's such a transforming power that we as Christians can actually lay down our power and honor other people because we believe so much that God will give us what we need in our strengths and our weaknesses. So at the right hand of God is our honor. At the right hand of God is our protection and provision. At the right hand of God is power and at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. So when life used to be found in pleasures, now our life is in Jesus. Pleasure forevermore in Jesus. At the right hand of God is our support. And I'll show you how this works itself out specifically in our lives. But for the non-believer, they say, I get help from men. I get help from wisdom. I get help from this book. I get help from these areas for support in my life. For the Christian, we say, no, that's not life. Support comes from God in Jesus. At the right hand of God is his promise, his ever faithful promise. This world is always making promises to us, isn't it? If we just get here, life will be full. If we can just gain this, life will be full. And what we see as Christians is life is full because it's already guaranteed and given to us, and it sits in the possession of Jesus right now at the right hand of God. And every promise he makes is yes for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. There's a transition, there's a shift, there's a change. Your life is at the right hand of God. Your vision for what it is to be able to say that's life and that's living has completely changed as a Christian or it should have completely changed as a Christian and you should no longer be anchored to anything here because it's there. No longer anchored to anything here because it's there. But the hard part for us is that this requires us to walk by faith, not by sight. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, for, walk, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Take pleasures, for example. 
Some of you didn't grow up in these days, but when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, there was these things called music videos. It was a big deal, MTV and VH1. And you'd watch these music videos, and you'd see people wearing gold chains on boats, dancing around, partying, having a blast. And man, when you were a kid, you looked at that, and you were like, oh, man, that's the life. Man, if I could just get that boat, I don't know that I would have ever worn the gold chains. But nonetheless, like... That was my vision. That was kind of the idea like, of growing up in those time frames. It's like, that's life. And if I could just get those pleasures, that's, that's where all that is for us. And so whether if you grew up in that time frame, whatever it is, whether it's money or sex or entertainment, whatever it is, when we look at that in this world, that's sight. It's offering you real pleasures that you can see right here, right now and to say no to that is to die to what you can see and what you can feel and to say no no even though i can see that even though i can feel that even though i can say that it's some sense that would give me pleasure that i can really say is tangible and right here and right now i'm going to die to that for a pleasure that i can't see fully and for a pleasure that i have to hope for and for a faith that's there See, this is the hard thing about Christians, isn't it? Like, we say we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. Because pleasures are forevermore in the presence of God. But we don't feel all of that right here and right now. That's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's difficult to die to these things. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come because Paul talks specifically about dying to these things and these components of our lives. But what we have to do is we have to trust that there's actually greater pleasure than what you can see right here and right now. You have to believe that there's greater support than what you can see right now and right here. You have to trust and believe that there's greater honor with Jesus than there is the honor you can get right here and right now that you can see. That's hard. That's why it's faith. And it begins really as we walk through our lives to test our trust and our faith. Paul is saying that since you have a spiritual condition where your life is hidden with God and with Jesus, then your conduct should then shift in result. And so he gives us two specific things that we are to do to help us in this process. One, we are to seek the things above. Seek the things above. Again, it feels like a spiritual idea. This idea of seeking is the idea of reaching for something that you desire, striving for something that you desire. You believe in faith that your life is at the right hand of God, and so you strive for that. You desire for that. Paul's getting at our hearts. He's getting at our loves. He's getting at our affections. But it isn't easy to change our desires, is it? That's what makes them desires. Like They're just kind of innate in us. Have you ever felt that want and that kind of you want to change a desire, but it's always there nagging at you? So... Let me walk through this a little bit. So when cancer strikes, your desire for support should be so much anchored in him that that's where you run first. I want him to be my support. And so I go to him first. I go to doctors and friends second. 
when faced with another challenge in your life where you might feel too weak to handle it, you would so desire his power to work through you so that he could be glorified. His miraculous and life-raising rising up kind of power to work through you, you so desire that, that you seek him and you seek it to come from him before you seek it from anywhere else, before you seek it from the self-help books, before you seek it from the business-savvy guys or the pioneer woman or whatever that is in your life. Like you want to go to him first. When you feel the need to be valued and honored, you desire that value to come from him so much that you run to him first. Like we've all felt that moment, that nag in us where we're like, man, I, I just want to be known and I just want to be seen well, as a Christian, you run to him for that because you desire it from him first. What's amazing about this is that we're promised that if we seek it from him, it's guaranteed. Isn't that amazing? If you seek honor from men and women, is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. It's fickle at best. If you seek pleasure here, is it guaranteed? Maybe for a moment, but not to last forever. We are guaranteed with Jesus that we will find what we're seeking for in Jesus. The hard part, though, at least for me, is that often in my broken and sinful heart, I desire and I often have a deeper affection for the support that comes from men than the support that comes from God. In my flesh, I have a deeper desire and deeper affection for the value that comes from men than I do than the value that comes from God. In the brokenness of my own sin, like I oftentimes have a deeper affection for the pleasures of this world than I do for the pleasures that are sitting with him. And I don't think I'm the only one that has to fight that. I don't think that I'm the only one that has these desires at war within me all the time and, and, and trying to figure out how do I live in accordance to the desires that are there because it's hard to change my desires. It's hard to change what's already there. And so what do we do as Christians? I want to give a, 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 really three things that we can do. When you find this to be true in your own heart, you're desiring honor somewhere else, you desire affection somewhere else. You desire pleasure somewhere else. You desire support somewhere else. You desire to find protection or provision somewhere else. The first thing that you need to do is confess it to the Lord. Just be honest. God, I don't really desire your pleasures more than I desire the world's. God, I don't really desire your honor more than I desire my bosses right now. You confess it before the Lord. Maybe you need to confess it to a trusted friend. And then you need to repent of it because you recognize that it hurts your God. And then you need to pray that he will change your affections. So when your heart desires and seeks things that are here in this world instead of the things that are there, then you confess, you repent, and you pray. Confess, repent, and pray. Confess, repent, and pray. Pray. You know why I keep saying it? Because we have to do it every day, over and over, time after time, minute by minute, confess, repent, and pray. Because we're always tempted to be, have more affection for this world than the one that is there. 
And part of fixing our eyes upon Jesus is always keeping before you the wonder of what he has done for you so that your affections for him can begin to shift. But we all know that it doesn't happen fast, does it? At least it doesn't happen oftentimes as fast as we might like. We walk through it every day, and it's hard. Now, what Paul does, he doesn't say we only need to affect our affections and our heart, but we also need to engage our minds. And so not only does he say seek these things, but also to set your minds on what is above. So we recognize we're hidden with Jesus, we seek the things that are above with Jesus, and we set our minds on what is above with Jesus. This is the ever difficult task to take captive every single thought you have, to renew your minds by the word. And Things like the word and spiritual songs and hymns and prayer, these things are deeply important. Setting our minds on things above can help shape our hearts and remember and remind us of our condition. Okay, let me go back to a physical example of this. Let's say that I recognize that I have the condition of diabetes. We'll use that again. Well, if you know me and if you know me very long, there's... I have one real candy love, and it's cinnamon bears. Anybody ever had the little squishy cinnamon bears? They're kind of like hot tamales. It used to be hot tamales, but they're cinnamon bears. I love cinnamon bears. Like that's the, They're the best candy in the world. When I was young, I could go to a movie, and I could eat like a whole giant box or a bag of cinnamon bears or hot tamales, and I would be fine. Not so anymore, but I would be totally fine. Okay, so here's what happens. So I recognize, oh no, my condition is that I have diabetes, but I still love my cinnamon bears and Dr. Pepper. That was another one of my weaknesses. Like I love cinnamon bears and Dr. Pepper, but I can't, I'm not supposed to eat cinnamon bears and Dr. Pepper anymore. So if I then fix my attention on cinnamon bears and Dr. Pepper, how's that gonna go for me? Like, if I recognize I have diabetes, do you think it's smart for me to walk down the candy aisle every time I go to Dylan's? Do you think it's going to be smart for me to go on Amazon and watch my subscription for cinnamon bears to just be there all the time? Right? Like, how, what, what's that going to do to my affections? Like, if I just start scrolling through Facebook looking for cinnamon bears and Dr. Pepper... Like, do you see what my point is? So often what happens with us is we go, oh, well, I'm so frustrated because I still have the affections for these old things, and yet we keep setting our minds on the old things. We keep staring at them. And so here's how Christian life often be, is. Like, I know I have to eat green beans, and so I eat green beans reluctantly, wishing that they were cinnamon bears. Brothers and sisters, this isn't freedom, is it? But how many, of us, how many of us do this in our Christian life? Where we, we know that these things in our lives are not good for us, and yet we set our minds upon them, and in religious duty, we force ourselves to be obedient, and it's almost a slavery to try to be obedient to the things that we know we're not to be participating in. Because we haven't set our minds on things above and prayed that God would change our affections. And so we walk in this world religiously enslaved to these things. 
So even if you're able to avoid the things of this world, it's not something you do out of joy. It's something that you do out of duty. So what we are to do as Christians is to set our minds upon that which is above, even before we love it, or as we're growing to love it. While we do this, we ever stay anchored to who we are in Jesus. So many of us never get here. We never truly walk by faith. In fact, we live as, left, as if our life is still here. We live enslaved, wishing we could have life here. It's like the, the Israelites who come out of Egypt, and after they've been in the wilderness for a while, there's this statement where they said they wish they could go back to Egypt to have the meat and the leeks and the vegetables. Like they long for what they had in the midst of their slavery. We're to focus our eyes upon what Christ has for us. Practically speaking, how do we do this? We just memorize Bible verses all day? I think that's part of it. I think that can help us. But realistically, how do we do this? When it feels oftentimes so unattainable, and it feels so spiritual, which it is, but Paul wants us and wants this whole idea to affect our conduct in very real ways while you're doing all those normal things. While you're carting the kids around, while you're doing the dishes. I keep saying the dishes. I don't really have a problem with dishes, but I just won't say that anymore. I think it's helpful for us as we think about this to think in terms of three different categories. Specifically, what's three categories under an earthly idea and a heavenly idea. So starting with the earthly, think about this as what's temporal. And remember back when your condition was that life was here. Life was found here. And start with the idea of your pleasures. Earthly pleasures. This is the temporal pleasures of our life. Philippians 3.19 talks about it this way. The end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame. With minds set on earthly things, in short, what he's saying is, whatever feels good to my flesh and my belly, that's what I'm going to fix my attention on, and that's what I'm going to go after. That's my life. Life is in alcohol. My life is in the Chiefs. My life is being in the volleyball. My life is being a soccer fan. My life is making a lot of money. My life is in finding that spouse. My life is in whatever it is that you say, like, that's it, that's life. These are pleasures. These drive so many of us. So when we say, I love it, I desire it, I think about it, I want to get it, that becomes your pursuit. That's what you seek. So let me ask the question. Has this changed for you? Or do you still hold to your earthly pleasures? What earthly pleasures that you used to hold are you actively trying to die to today? What earthly pleasures do you recognize that you used to find life in that you no longer want to find life in. If you can't answer that question for me, then that's a serious concern and may speak to your condition more than you'd like to admit. Because the scripture says that if we are really in Jesus, he's going to begin to change our desires. 
Not perfectly, not tomorrow, not completely, but they're going to begin to change. Second, what about our treasure? We have, rarely do we have a problem fixing our attention upon treasure. And I don't just mean material things. It may be material thing. Maybe it is the car. Maybe it's the boat. Maybe it's the house. Maybe it's the good job. But maybe it's power. Maybe your treasure is sex. Maybe your treasure is drugs. Maybe your treasure is something else. We set our minds on it. We want to get it. We want to secure it. Once we secure it, we want to grow it. If your treasure is in material things, that's what you think about. If it's in entertainment, then that's what you think about. That's what you seek after. If it's power, then that's where your attention is. And then thirdly, we see this work itself out in our vices. Meaning this, when our attention is fixed upon now and the pleasures and the treasures that we can see, then it plays out in our relationships. Paul says this in Colossians 3.8. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Where do these come from? Have you ever thought about that in the world? Why, do you, why does a worldly person become angry? It's because somebody gets in the way of their pleasure or their treasure. Just think about that. Enmity comes when someone gets in the way of your pleasure or your treasure. So if your pleasure and your treasure is here, then you're going to be enslaved to living out these vices in your life because you have to get that because that's where life is found for you. Now, I want to shift and redirect our attention. I want to shift, shift away from this idea. But before I do, we also remind ourselves that vices that we talk about in other places like Colossians like sexual immorality and covetousness and greed, those come when we become enslaved to our pleasures and our treasures. But Paul says, no, we want to shift this away and we want to start looking to that which is heavenly. But the categories are the same, but now they're eternal. So for the Christian, we have heavenly pleasure. Set your mind upon the future hope, your future home. Set your mind on that which gives Jesus pleasure, like obeying the will of the Father, loving others as yourself. See, it doesn't mean you don't love the chiefs. It doesn't mean that you no longer love to play basketball. It doesn't mean that you no longer love to have a good steak or you no longer like to have a good job. It means that that's not life for you anymore. Isn't that freeing? I say this to married couples all the time. If you get married thinking that your spouse is going to somehow bring you pleasure, they can never bear that weight. But if you truly find your pleasure in what is in heaven, it frees you to find true joy and pleasure with a spouse here in this world. See, it's not just about the future, it's about now too. Fix our attention upon building relationships and upon family, on things that are eternal. What about our treasure? You don't have to purge every good gift that God has given to you, but you set your mind on your future investment. Do you and I, do we, do we really believe that what we do here affects our eternity? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, not to store up treasures for ourselves here, but to store up treasures for ourselves there, treasures that will last, treasures that will not be eaten by moth and rust. If your affection is there, your trust is there, then we should fix our attention 
there. How often does this come into play with how you view your finances or how you view other things that you treasure? God guarantees anything that is spent for his kingdom and glory in this place is going to be repaid for us a hundredfold. I'm pretty sure that I know that if any of us had that guarantee in the stock market, you would sacrifice a lot of temporary, immediate pleasure to gain long-term finances. Why wouldn't we do that with heaven? See, we fix our attention. And then finally, the virtues. Instead of enmity and anger that comes from fixing our attention on worldly pleasure and treasures, we fix our attention upon the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Philippians chapter 4 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Think about these things. Here's what's the beauty of this is that if we truly shift and we truly begin to believe that our life is hidden with Christ and we actually let that affect our conduct, then we no longer have to be enslaved to treating people like they're tools to get us our pleasures and treasures. We can trust it's already there and we can love people the way Jesus loved people, even if they're going against earthly pleasures and treasures. But I think a lot of times what this reveals is that we don't truly believe what is to come. And we don't truly believe that at the right hand of God in Jesus is all of these things. We believe that they're still here. And I'm, I'm out of time. But I want to ask some questions very specifically. What is your condition? What's your condition? Are you dead to this world? Are you hidden with Christ? Just ask the question to yourself, like, where is life for you? Where do you look at the thing and say, that's life, that's living, that's what I want? Is it here or is it there? Have you, have you truly died to your ability to justify yourself before God? Have you truly been raised up with him, believing that your hope and your righteousness is all in Jesus? What is your condition? Next, what is your heart's affections seeking after? I know none of us in this room could say that all of our heart's affections are fixed upon Jesus. Are you honest about that? Are you reflecting on that? Are you confessing it and repenting it and praying about it, asking that he would change your affections on a regular basis? So, so what is your condition? Are you being true about that? Where are your heart's affections? And lastly, what is your mind fixed upon, brothers and sisters? What is your mind fixed upon? Things above or things here? Things above or things here. We are hidden with Jesus. Our life is at the right hand of God in Jesus, and we are to seek that. We are to set our minds there. And there is real freedom and real life for any who would walk by faith, not by sight, in that pursuit. 
So will we walk by faith and not by sight? So I want to take a couple of moments before we turn to a time of just response. Let me just encourage you to close your eyes and bow your head. I just want to ask the question. If with Jesus you have died to your own justification, your own ability to make yourself right before God, and if you have truly been raised with Christ, and, and if your life is truly hidden with Christ at the very right hand of God, Is your conduct reflective of your condition? If it's not, confess it before the Lord. If in your pleasures you are seeking the earthly things, and if your treasures you are seeking the earthly things, and that is driving all kinds of vices in your life, brothers and sisters, Lay it before the Lord this morning. Before you go to communion, lay it before him. Confess it, repent it, and plead with him to change your affections. Just take a moment to do that. Father, in the stillness of this moment, I just pray that you would, by your spirit, help us to recognize these things in us. Not to shame us. You don't seek to shame us. Just like the woman that that Steve read about earlier, you didn't shame her in the midst of her sin. You did acknowledge her sin, and you did tell her to go and sin no more, but you didn't shame her. I pray, Father, this morning for those who are in this space that our eyes and our hearts are not fixed upon that which is above. Lord, would we, I just pray that you'd help us to lay it before you. Father, would you change our affections? that we wouldn't have affections for this world and we wouldn't have affections for the pleasures of this world and our affections would change for the treasures of this world. Would you free us? If you're in this space this morning and you don't know Christ, in other words, you're still trying to justify yourself before God. Maybe it's with your good works. Maybe it's with your religion, maybe it's with the fact that you're trying to just say he doesn't exist. I don't know. If you haven't been raised with Christ, if you don't have your life hidden with Christ, seated at the right hand of God, and and you recognize that, and we've talked about a lot of stuff this morning, and you recognize, man, like I'm enslaved to a lot of things that is never going to end up being anything but a temporal chasing after the wind. And you recognize you're not free at all. And you recognize the weight of your sin and those very things that you're hoping find treasure and life in are actually going to lead to your death. 
I pray this morning that you hear the gracious words of your Savior who says that he nailed your record of debt to the cross so that you might have his righteousness, so that you might find life in him, not those things. Wouldn't it be freeing? Some of y'all are enslaved. Alcohol, drugs, pornography. You're enslaved to the need of the praise of men to be valued by the opposite sex, to be whatever it is, to, to be the top of your class. You're enslaved. You don't have to be anymore. Jesus can free you to actually enjoy the good gifts he intended for us. But you have to walk by faith and trust that he can do it.